Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all the people, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test Jesus, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please sit. Our culture contains no shortage of recommendations for self-improvement. Seems to me that every few months there is news of a new superior method for attaining physical fitness or psychological resilience, or spiritual health. Some of these purport to be catch-free shortcuts, while others concede a degree of difficulty and endurance. There is one thing, however, that these accounts of self-improvement usually exclude, sin. And that is a problem. 
It means that the suggested methods focus on augmenting the nicest bits of us rather than rooting out the ugliest. It means, too, that there is really no excuse for failing to improve. If there is nothing except personal effort between you and your perfect self, then why aren't you perfect already? Therefore, these techniques carry an apparently encouraging message, but in practice they license a pernicious evil, judgment and condemnation, whether that is directed at ourselves or at others. It's not that perfection is beyond us, for each of us is called to become perfect through Jesus Christ. Do not sin again, he says to the woman. But with God, our self-improvement must start in a totally different place, namely the recognition of our sin. In today's Gospel, Jesus makes clear that no one is untouched by the plague of sin. The setting for the narrative reminds us that sin is not only a matter of our personal misdeeds, but of the fundamental condition of human existence. In the Hebrew scriptures, adultery is a metaphor for the failure of Israel to live up to their covenant with God, which is likened to a marriage. It signifies a turning away from relationship with God in favour of a relationship with the world. As Professor Karen Kilby described in her university sermon of a few weeks ago, this fundamental, let's call it original, sin is not about our bad choices. Rather, it is that we have got the structures of our society, our customs, economy, and every form of relationship wrong in some deep sense. In such a world, human beings have no option but to become sinners. When faced with this radical depravity, we tend to seek one of two remedies. The first is depicted in the Gospel. The remedy for sin is the punishment of the sinner. We do this when we single out particular people or particular groups as our enemies who need to be locked up or exiled or killed. Thus, we believe that we have done away with sin. Jesus reveals this to be an illusion. Even if we are rid of one person's sin, we are the same sinners that we were before, or perhaps even worse ones. The second remedy is to throw out the law. As St. Paul says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. We throw out the law at a very deep level when we trick ourselves into thinking that something we know to be wrong is really acceptable. Jesus does not take this route either. In fact, he reaffirms the law, both in his words to the woman and to those seeking her condemnation. So the world is stuck in these two reactions to sin, condemnation and willful ignorance. Yet Jesus shows us that there is a different method for improving humanity. It is called God's grace, and it provides far more than we could ever do for ourselves, because it does not merely improve us, it restores us as the people God made us and intends us to be.
In his response to the woman who committed adultery, notice how Jesus both forgives her and supplies her with the power to refrain from sin thereafter. He does not merely give her a second chance, but recreates her in the grace of perfect holiness. He touches the ground, just as God formed the first human being from the dust. God's remedy for sin is revealed ultimately in the passion of our Lord, which today's gospel anticipates. At Golgotha, Jesus takes the place of the woman, except that there is no one to save him. He who alone was capable of keeping the law takes on our sin and receives the fatal condemnation of the people. At that moment, he reveals the full meaning of mercy as faced with his death, he offers us new life, a life that is not determined by our sin, but which consists entirely of his grace, his holiness, his love. Today we begin a season of preparation for that solemn moment. And to begin, we are offered a truth that is so wonderful, so difficult to understand, and such an affront to our pride that we are given 40 days, 40 attempts, if you like, to open our hearts to receive it. The truth is this, that with God, our sin is not first and foremost a source of shame and condemnation, but the most direct path to salvation. In other words, we are improved not by our achievements or our successes, but by confronting and bringing to light the most abhorrent and misshapen parts of our lives in order that the Lord would redeem them. If you want to know God's overwhelming grace, which we will shortly celebrate at Easter, spend the next six and a half weeks learning how much you are in need of God's mercy. Run to the Saviour with your sins in your hands. And as the prophet Joel says, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Traditionally, the church recommends three practices to help us open our hearts to God in this way. Those are prayer, which deepens our relationship with God, fasting, which renews our minds and our bodies, and almsgiving, which turns us to the needs of our brothers and sisters. But there are a number of other tools you can use. First, receive the Eucharist as often as you can, especially, of course, on Sundays, but also during the week. On Wednesdays, our midweek communion will be preceded by 30 minutes of silence and followed by lunch and a talk on art and faith in Michael House. Second, you can take a spiritual MOT check to help you evaluate the health of your relationships with God and with other people. Thirdly, you are invited to a special contemplative prayer group on Tuesday evenings. You can find all the details of these in the EMAG, or you can ask one of the clergy afterwards. 
however you spend your time this Lent. Above all, remember that your aim is to open your heart to receive God's love. If you do, he will not only forgive you your sins, but he will remake you, give you power to overcome all temptations, and finally be united with him in his resurrection.